put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Today's podcast is titled Doctrines of Devils. And basically what we're looking at today is syncretism in the church. Syncretism in the church. What do I mean by syncretism? Well, I have a Google definition here. Syncretism is the combination of different forms of belief or practice. The fusion of two or more originally different inflectional forms, syncretism. That's a very common thing in the church. The scripture that was read was um, out of Matthew chapter 13 about the tares and the wheat. And God plants wheat and the devil plants the tares or the weeds, as it says in the English Standard Version that I use. And the interesting thing about it, a reason why I wanted that one read today was because, hmm, let me see. I see a lot of videos on the internet, and I'm glad that they're there exposing a lot of the syncretism in the church, things that are false. And people think, well, why bother? There's so much of it. It's all over the place. And you're never going to get rid of it. This stuff is not going to stop, no matter how many exposés there are. Um, and apologetics and defenses of the faith. Uh, it's not going to stop. People are going to people going to come up new who get saved. They're not going to know about it, and they're going to join a lot of churches that have a lot of syncretism in it. And so it's not going to stop. So then, why bother? Well, we're bothering to do it because. For those who have an ear to hear, that's why I always end the introduction to those who have an ear to hear. Let them hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. The, this podcast is for those who have an ear to hear. If you don't have an ear to hear, this podcast really ain't going to help you. But if you have a listening ear and you're, you're committed to truth, if nothing else, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, 
hopefully I've created enough curiosity to make you go back and check things out for yourself. And that we get in the habit of not just hearing something and accepting it as fact. Uh, but we'll vet everything. We'll be like the Bereans who were more noble and they searched the scriptures to see if what the apostles were telling them was true. And I implore you, and I, if I can't get you to do anything else, doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. What I'd like you to do is search the scriptures to see if these things be so. And if it ain't, then just dismiss me as another kook. But if I'm right, oh boy, then you need to start thinking about making some changes in what you do. Uh, syncretism is rampant in the church. It always has been. It's not new. That's how the enemy uh, deceived Eve. We'll do a message on that. I may add that in today, but then again, I may not, depending on how much time I have. We'll see. But the devil is a deceiver, and that's what he does. His, his idea is to run around tricking and deceiving people into believing things that aren't true. Very, very normal behavior for the devil. And it's up to us as believers, and now I'm an elder in a church, and elders are supposed to warn people, so I'm on here warning you about the syncretism in the church. Now, I'm not going to go in depth on this. There was a short video uh, so I'm going to start off dealing with the Masons first. Uh, can a Christian be a Mason and practice Masonry? There was a very short video by Alan Parr on YouTube, and that's where I'm drawing a lot of this information from. So I'm not going to go in-depth with it today. I'm just going to whet your appetite and challenge you. And I, if I make you angry enough to go check out Alan Parr's video, cool, all the better. But I will be going more in-depth on my own as well, uh, dealing with uh masons i uh, let me just say from this from the right off the bat it is the one of the most successful syncretistic things i think the devil has done to the church uh because almost especially throughout the south in southern churches wow you go to southern churches almost every black pastor is a mason now hear what i'm saying i'm not telling you to run out of your church and get away because a lot of the people who are sucked into the masons don't know what it is anyway and probably aren't practicing some of the things i'll be talking about here on that high level um but nonetheless it's something that if you're not part of it and somebody invites you to join it i've been invited several times and i said no i'm not joining it and i'll tell you i'll give you some the reasons alan parr gave are the same ones i've gave so it's identical but um yeah i'm not joining that Okay, now somebody asked me, what about fraternities and sororities? I don't know enough about them, so I don't, I, I don't know. All I'm simply saying that if you're already a Mason and you find yourself that you've already made pledges or agreed to certain types of organizations, um, and most of them probably aren't doing anything demonic. And see, that's, that's the deception. They do a lot of good works. They do a lot of good things. Um, in the communities there's a lot of other organizations like i think the lions club and some others organizations that then they do a lot of good they do a whole lot of good so i'm not opposed to that 
Um, but when we talk about belief systems and, and what they believe to be true, as a Christian, you just shouldn't be bonding with these. Uh, the, the, I think in the book of uh, Revelations, it's when he talks about Mystery Babylon, remember I told you about Mystery Babylon, the woman that rides the beast? It's it's That's syncretism. It's a mixture of Christianity and a whole lot of other uh, non-Christian things. That's the woman that rides the beast. Mystery Babylon. And the angel comes out and he says, come out from among her, lest you take partake in her judgment. This is the whore that rides the beast that sits on many waters and in many nations. And this is just one form that she takes. So I don't recommend it for Christians. However, like I said, if you're there, you know, you look at it and make your own decisions. Um, but I, if you're asking me, I would say, no, I don't recommend it. And we have, we should not have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's my official position. All right. Uh, so I'm going to give you some reasons and then you can go back to Alan Parr's video and take a look, look, uh, closer look at it. I'm also doing some more research on my own. When I have it, I will, uh, do an entire um podcast on it and and by the way by the way people i do have a lot more information but i'm not i don't like to give out things unless i'm completely i've completely vetted something so some things i'm vetting i'm still looking at and when we're done we'll come back and we'll do a full-blown examination of it okay so uh, we we want to be able to avoid some of these things. So here's the, the here's the four things. Um, actually, one, two, three, four. Five. Actually, he gave five things that he said that were um, that weren't good about it. Um, number one is that you can worship any deity that you want. You say, well, that's like America, right? In America, you can worship any deity you want. Yeah, I I, I get that. But you're born an American citizen. You can't control that. You're going to be part of some nation somewhere. And nations are what is known as a common grace given to us by God because you can't have anarchy, right? You can't have people running around doing what they want. That's worse than no government. So some government is better than no government. And hopefully you get a decent government and not a bad one or you know a dictator that's out of control. But I'm not going to willingly. So I'm born in as an American citizen, so I'm here. So pledging allegiance and things of that nature, I'm an American citizen, of course. And because I live here, I, I naturally, you're going to take up arms in defense of your nation. So when you go in the military, you, you take an oath to defend the country, the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Okay, I get that. that that's, that's, that's by divine appointment. You're going to be part of a nation. If I was born Russian, then I would defend that nation. If I was born Ukrainian, et cetera. Um, and so you you deal with where you're born at. I had no choice in that. I'm just here. Okay. Um, and yes, you can cho cho choose whether you want to join the military or not. That's that's a fact. And we have that choice as well. But I also have a choice whether I want to join the Masons or not. And I'm not going to join an organization that encourages you to worship any deity you want. Um, that that's that's just not going to happen any secret society or whatever. And you might say that's harmless, but the, 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 what ends up happening is syncretism. You end up merging. And if you look at their at what they believe and things that they teach, they take they merge all the ethnic ethics, 
from other religions together because all religions has ethics. But then, you know, you they, they want you to, everybody's okay, everybody's fine. Well, I'm a Christian, and I have to tell the Hindu, and I have to tell the, in the Muslim, you're under the wrath of God if you don't know Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. Now, look, I done lost some of you already. Oh, that's bigotry. Well, call it whatever you want. That's what the Bible teaches is what I believe. I stand by that. And you have to tell them this. So I'm not going to be in the room, ha, 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 he, 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 ho, ho, ho. Sooner or later, I'm going to have to tell you the truth. And then we're going to have a problem. But it encourages people to just pick your own deeds. That's like the 12 steps programs, you know, higher power. And so you get to the higher power and it can be a tree. I've seen people worshiping trees and sky and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Um, now, there are Christian 12 step programs. But when you get to the top, there ain't no higher power. It's going to be Jesus. And if you can't handle that, well, can't help you. Uh, it has a works-based salvation, a works-based salvation. Well, in every religion, you work for your salvation, so that seems to fit, right? Except Christianity is, is not a works-based salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In, in Romans it says, through the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So it doesn't matter how many orphanages you build. doesn't matter how much money you donate to uh, to St. Jude's Hospital, to the Shriners. It doesn't matter how much money you donate to whoever. None of that is going to save you. Now, is there something wrong with doing good works? No. And if you're a Christian and you're a church, you should always be doing good works. Absolutely. But those works have no merit towards your salvation. That's all I'm saying. But they have a works-based salvation, so you can get into heaven by works. And that's what they teach. Well, uh, that's a contrary to what I believe. Okay, and of course, it's very syncretistic because, again, when you have multiple religions, you start merging the, the, the merging beliefs. So it's a syncretistic organization because they, they merge beliefs from various places. So a lot of their dogma, their, their doctrine, their beliefs, and their practices are a mixture of some Christian and some pagan things. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself participating in some sort of pagan ritual or advocating or supporting some type of pagan belief. Uh, and it's very subtle. But it's not something a Christian wants to get involved in. So I'm not going to get in a place where I have to be compromised. I'm not going to put myself in a compromising permission, position because I'm in an organization that's very syncretistic. And now I have to do a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of paganism to be part of this organization. Um, they take an oath. They pledge their life to the organization. And, of course, there's punishment if you don't fulfill that said oath. Uh, I pledge my allegiance and my life and my and my oath is to Jesus Christ and no one else. Okay, so, again, uh, that's the only oath that I'm taking. Other than, of course, if you join the military, then you have to know what you're getting yourself into. I, I get that. But that's with nations and that's sanctioned by God. But none of, no, taking oath anywhere else is not sanctioned by God. And so my only oath is to Jesus Christ.
I like what uh, Keith Green wrote years ago. I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel. And I ask no man on earth to fill my knees, my needs. As a sparrow up above, I am enveloped in his love. And I'll trust him more, and I'll trust him more. And that's what you're supposed to do. I'll trust the one who uh, bore the nails of crown of thorns for me. So that's my that's my commitment. My my allegiance is to Christ, as revealed in holy scriptures. Uh, that that's who I'm I, I'm aligned with, and I, and I will not align with anyone else. Number five, oh, number yeah, number five. Uh, they had they they draw on a multiplicity of. Of, of sacred documents. So they'll pull something out of the Bhagavad Gita. They'll pull something out of the Upanishads. They'll pull something out of maybe some Taoist proverbs. They'll pull something out of a, something of um, of uh, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. They'll throw a little bit of Bible in there and throw something from the Book of Mormon. And so it's a syncretistic mix. The whole organization itself is syncretistic. And as a Christian, I can't get involved in something willingly that's syncretistic, that's, that's loaded with syncretism. And of course, I've been doing some study on my own, but I don't want to, I'll just lightly touch on it. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of satanic symbols and, uh, and pagan symbols and ideologies in there that don't fit the Christian milieu as well. But I'm just doing a quick thing here. This is not exhaustive. This is not everything you, you're going to hear about it. But I want to get you mad enough to go do your own research. So if I ticked you off, great, beautiful. Uh, or if I piqued your curiosity, that's even better. Go check it out for yourself. And if you disagree with me or agree, doesn't matter. If you got a comment, um, it says, you know, there's a section there that says, what do you think of this podcast? And you can say whatever you have to say. It's all good. Won't bother me. Or you can email me at rhyd12001 at gmail.com. rhyd12001 at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to reach out to me with your own perspective and viewpoint. Or if you have questions, ask me. But like I said, I'm doing some more study on these, these things that I'm sharing with you today. And I will be doing more in-depth on it. Um, but I decided it was a good time to kind of bring out some of these things because this thing is rampant in the church and it's everywhere. This is one of the greatest infiltrations the enemy has done in the church because it's in the pulpit. I'm talking bishops, so-called apostles, so-called prophets are practicing are practicing masons. They're involved in this. Pastors, etc. And then they're mixing Christianity. A lot of this so-called ecclesiastical order that you have going on now, that's a mixture. That's an unholy mixture of a form of syncretism with Christianity. Let me ask you this. What color robe did Jesus wear? What type of hat was he wearing? He had a bishop's mitre on top of his head. What were the apostles wearing? Did they wear a particular color? Were they putting a cross in their pocket? I don't know. Were they? Where all this stuff come from? Because I don't think Jesus was wearing any of this. So if he wasn't wearing it, why am I wearing it? Hmm. 
Or why do I have to wear it? Let's put it that way. I suppose you can make up your own uniform, I guess, if you want. But why? Anyway. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. A lot of symbolism. Oh, it's just symbolism. I understand. I, I got you. All right. So that's Masons. Go check out Alan Parr's video. It's very short on, on Christians and Masonry. And I will be back, God willing. He spares my life sometime before this year is over. I will do a full-blown thing on Masons. The next one on my list that I qualify as doctrines of devils <laughs> is the Enneagram, which is supposed to be a personality test. And that's how people use it today. It's just used as a personality test with the numbers, etc., on it. Uh, however, let's see where it came from. Some proponents of the Enneagram, this is, uh, I got this from an article I read on uh on, from the uh, National Association of Evangelicals, I think it is. Some proponents of the anagram attribute it to the Desert Fathers, Kabbalists. Well, right there you got a problem because that's Jewish mysticism and it's, it mixes occult practices with Judaism. So that's where its roots are at. Okay, so the root is what creates the fruit. So if the root is corrupt, then the fruit is going to carry all the energy and everything from the root. Well, there you go. So that's sufficient for me. But all right, let's read on. Sufi mystics, okay, Muslim mystics, Pyth Pythagoreans, the Chaldeans, which we know are steeped in occult practices, and other ancient groups. That doesn't, uh, being an ancient group doesn't make you evil. But we know Kabbalists, Sufi mystics, and Chaldeans, we know what they were about. Mixing, that was a form of syncretism in and of itself. Claims for an ancient origin, however, it says, in, in fairness, have never been substantiated. So that's saying that's never been substantiated. Okay, well, let's see what has been substantiated. The earliest mention of the Enneagram is found in the writings of the Russian occultist, occultist P.D. Opensky, who attributes it to his teacher, the Greek-American occultist Georges Gerd... Anyways... It's a hard to pronounce name. Gurdjieff. 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 Occultist George Gurdjieff considered the Enneagram a symbol of the cosmos, and he never made any connection with it to personality types. So at this point, it's still not connected to a personality test. However, it was left to another occultist, Oscar Ichazo to connect the anagram to personality. So Oscar Ichazo connected the anagram to personality and claimed to have discovered the personality type meaning of the anagram when it was taught to him. And how did he figure that out? He discovered the personality types of the anagram when it was taught to him by the archangel Metron, Metroton, while he was high on mescaline. So while he's high on mescaline, the archangel Metroton appeared to him and told him, oh, this is a personality type test. That right there, as far as I'm concerned, disqualifies it because he had a false vision. It wasn't an angel that appeared to him. It was a demon. Doctrines, of, and that's why it's in the category doctrines of demons because that's when it became from 
just regular charts for the stars to being a personality test. One of Ichazo's students, a Chilean-born psychiatrist named Claudio Naranjo, another occultist, it's a long line of succession of occultists here, was the first to connect the nine points of the Enneagram to nine basic personality types. Naranjo also appears to be the one to connect the mention of the Enneagram by Gurgajev and Oensky to ancient sources. So he connected the ancient sources, the personality types, all of that this guy brought together, Claudio, Claudio Naranjo, brought all this stuff together. And these were all occultists. Hear it? Was the first to connect the, the, the nine points. Okay. In the 1970s, students of Naranjo spread the anagram to various Catholic communities, especially in mystical and contemplative circles. We'll talk about that in another podcast, too. Some of the promoters of the anagram include the former Jesuit Don Riso, the Franciscan friar, and Richard Rohr, and late Benedictine nun Suzanne Zuscher. Well, the only thing about Richard Rohr, he was, yeah. He was out there with a lot of mysticism and syncretism. He had no problem mixing Christianity with other types of um, belief systems. And I'm going to make a point about that here in a minute. But let's read on a little bit. So why then are some evangelicals enthusiastic about the Enneagram? Although Catholics have been debating concerns about the Enneagram. Wow, look at this. Even <laughs> Catholic Church, even the priest got enough sense to know, oh, wait a minute, not so fast. They're debating it about the anagram for decades. Uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Doctrine issued a statement in 2000. It has only become popular in evangelicals in the past few years. You got to be suspicious when something new pops up. I'm very suspect when something that wasn't in the Bible. We were, What were we doing for the last 2,000 plus years without the anagram? Now all of a sudden we need it. No, we don't. We survived this long without it. We'll be just fine. While it's impossible to say why it has become such a hot fad, there are a few factors that may have led to its use. Number one is a need for a simple classification tool. In the 1970s, some people would say, I'm Libra, referring to their astrological sign. In the 1990s, those same people were likely to say, I'm an... INFJ, referring to their Myers-Briggs personality type test. In each case, individuals wanted a simple way to both convey information about their personality to others and also to identify personality traits of other people. And then people would use those traits to see if they're compatible. Uh, Tim LaHaye had a book out, and I've, I've done this myself, you know, on the on the four type personality types, uh, sanguine, phlegmatic, um, Wow, I can remember Sanguine and Phlegmatic. That's the only two I can remember at the time. Uh, but it has, it was four personality types that, that he had that were out there. Okay. And I took those tests. I've done all that. I've, done, I've taken the spiritual gift tests, all of that. So I'm, not, I'm saying this is not as one who knows everything. I've been duped and fooled by some of this stuff myself. But once I caught it, I got out of it. I was like, oh, nope, not doing that anymore. You know, to discover whether that was a mission. And, and sometimes it works. Now, we're going to talk about two things also. 
the fact that it works. Uh, that that that's another thing that people make the argument for it. But anyway, let's go back to Myers Briggs. Like Myers Briggs in astrological science, the Enneagram allows people to convey a significant amount of information about the personality in a compact way for people who speak the same cultural code. But now there needs to be a Myers-Briggs replacement. The popularity of the Enneagram among evangelicals appears to coincide with the downfall of Myers-Briggs. Although still commonly used in corporate settings, the general public has become more aware that Myers-Briggs is generally considered pseudoscience. These personality tests are pseudoscience because of the lack of evidence the test or if classifications have any scientific validity whatsoever. Critics of the Myers-Briggs frequently point out that it's too simplistic to measure personality and fails the standard of reliability. When retested on a later date, up to 50% of the test takers will be classified into a different personality test. So today I take the test, I'm sanguine, tomorrow I'm phlegmatic. Wait, what? which is it now? See what I'm saying? As one critic notes, the the, the uh, Myers-Briggs personality test has about as much insight and validity as a BuzzFeed quiz. There's no scientific proof that the thing is accurate. So now the Enneagram seems to be the heir apparent to the Myers-Briggs. The other reason I think people are buying into it, at least it says here in the article, is a need for personality awareness. Because of changes in society, there's an increased need for the ability to recognize, understand, and interact with a wide range of personality types. As conflict resolution specialist Bill Eddy notes, we don't have a person we don't have personal histories with each other. Today, people have an incredible amount of mobility, so much that we have become a society of individuals. Yet we need to be around others. So we are constantly inviting new people into our lives in dating, at school, at work, hiring, repair. Or repair people joining churches, volunteer groups, investing, sports, you name it. But most of the people you meet don't have a history that you know about. You don't know their reputation, their prior relationships, or anything beyond what they tell you about themselves. And without a history, it's not obvious on the surface who you can really trust and who you can't. But you can check someone out online, but you can't always determine what information is accurate and what is false. Some evangelicals find the Enneagram to be a useful tool for gaining personality awareness and for learning about people they don't have a personal history with, such as members of a new church plant. And then you can use it for team building. So that seems to be the logical thing. If I'm going to build a team, we want to know each other. And this is one of the ways that they, you may want to go about it. So these are some of the reasons why people may want to use it. Okay. <laughs> um. However, you know, older, older believers like myself tend to distrust the anagram and associate it with occult and uh, spirituality. And that's one of the reasons why I reject it. Because, again, I'm looking at the root. And no matter what we do, you, you look at the root of something and then you, t it, it, you know, and you're still practicing it. Yeah, you might say, I'm not doing anything occult. I'm detaching it from the occult practices. But it was born out of the occult. This is what these guys came up with. It. And you say, well, I'm going to detach it. I mean, you do that with a Christmas tree, right? There used to be ISIS or some false god, and you detach it from there. And you make that work for you in your in your particular context. Okay, well, let's, we're going to look at all that.
So that's a fair assessment. That's a fair way of looking at it. I, I, I get it. Um, and I'll get back to that, but let's, let's look at this here. Uh, and they're saying, is the anagram an accurate or useful test of personality? And, um, the answer to that is no, it's not, it's not useful. It's not necessarily hundred percent, uh, accurate because then you take a test today, just like with the other one, you come back later on, take a test and you might come up to be something else. Uh, the oldest forms of Enneagram typing are based on self-assessment. Assessment. When a person chooses the number that best fits his or her personality type, while this is sometimes aided by a brief questionnaire, the classification relies primarily on self-knowledge. As Don Riesel says in his influential book, Understanding the Enneagram, there are several rules of thumb that can help determine if we're correctly choosing our correct type. So in other words, it's also possible for you to choose the incorrect type, depending on how well you understand how this thing works. And a lot of it is subjective. So if the type you have chosen not only stirs up deep feelings, but also helps you understand aspects of yourself that you have never seen before, then it is probably your type. Rachel says, if, you, if your choice leads you to make new connections and see new patterns in yourself and your relationships, then you have probably accurately, accurately typed yourself. So, all right. So what's wrong with it? All right, let's let's break this thing down here a little bit more. Number one, number one, just because something works does not now mean it's of God or that we can practice it. There are things in the occult that do work. Moses and Aaron put down their rods and it became a snake and Pharaoh got his magicians and they did the same thing. The devil is a copycat. Yes, it, to some degree, to some degree, particularly when God allows it, some things that the devil creates actually work. That does not now mean we should buy into it. Always for the believer is to consider the source. Consider the source. Where is this coming from? Just because it works. In Deuteronomy, I believe the 13th chapter, verses 1 and 2, it says, If a prophet come to you, and he give you a word and it come to pass. Okay, so let's say he comes, oh, this prophet is right on. He's spot on the money. He, he's, he's dead on. Okay, okay. But then he has, he, but then he introduces something to you that's not biblical. Saying, let's go after other gods. Let's do this. Let's practice some of this. Let's merge this in with our faith. And he brings in other practices that are not biblical. The Bible says you shall not fear him. He is a false prophet. So just because, and then it says right after that, for the Lord your God is testing you to see whether you love him only. So sometimes God will let things work to see if you're going to follow him or if you're going to go off on something else. Well, it worked, so it must be true. Number two, this is pragmatism. Pragmatism says that truth is the servant of what works. So if something works, it must be true, and if it's true, therefore it must be good. No, there are a lot of things that work and that are true, but they ain't good, and you shouldn't follow them. And this here be one of them. So those two things are not a good reason to be running behind the anagram, just because it seems to work and helps help some people. And 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 I, I hear it all the time. You know, I know one sister had um, she was come out of a battered uh, relationship. Her husband used to beat her up all the time. 
And she went into Buddhism and she just started chanting Aum every day and, and it worked. It helped her get back on her game. Um, uh, pop icon Tina Turner said that's what helped her. And, you know, she came out of that abusive relationship. And Buddhism was what worked for her. And it brought her back. She she did good records. She, she, she had like a second career almost and blew the first career out of the water. So it worked. So now should I now become a Buddhist and start chanting Aum? No. Bible forbids me to do that. This is what I'm talking about. So just because something works doesn't mean we now have to now run out and start practicing it or start doing it. That's not how the Christian faith works. And that's how you end up with syncretism. When you when you try practicing pragmatism, pragmatism and bringing practical is not the same thing. Uh, at least I don't define it that way, and I don't think they are the same thing. We need to be practical in our living, but I don't practice pragmatism. I don't derive truth from things simply because it works. And so people want to have a, and you hear it all the time today in the church, we want to have a pragmatic church. You know, I don't want no doctrine, you know, because doctrine ain't going to, what doctrine going to do for me? How that going to help me? Doctrine ain't going to do me no good. I don't need no doctrine. Ah, doctrine's not practical. You know, so what? The Trinity, big deal. I need to. I need. I need food on my plate. I'm hungry right now. I'm gonna hit them with no Trinity. I got bills to pay. You know, and so there's a disconnect, and 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 there's a reason for that because very few very few preachers are skilled at connecting doctrine to paying your bills and practical Christian living because it does connect. But again. That's another podcast for the future, and I'll talk about that. That's why this is called the sword and the spirit, because people have this false dichotomy between the Holy Spirit and the Bible, like they're locked in mortal combat or something. And and the the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It's his book. He's not going to contradict himself. So what's in the Bible is, is just was valid yesterday and going to be valid today and tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit's not going to give you some new revelation that, that supersedes the Bible. That's never going to happen. That's right, Sola Scriptura. So then, the Enneagram is a Trojan horse. Masons, there's a Trojan horse. That was trying to sneak some things in on the church, and I'm just trying to sound the alarm. Yes, there's a lot more I can say. If you want to hear more on the Enneagram, Alyssa Childers just did one on the Enneagram. You can go to her uh, podcast. Anisia can be found on YouTube. Alan Park can be found on YouTube. And Alyssa Childress could also be found on YouTube as well. And you can go there and they, they both of them were a little bit more in-depth on Masons and on uh, particularly Alyssa Childress. She does a very good job uh, with her guest dealing with the Enneagram. And I will also be having some guests on here to do a little bit more dive, a little more deeper dive on it. But this is just a quick overview Wet your appetite, make you angry, make you mad, and go back and say, let me just check this out, man. What's this guy talking about? And to make sure that you're not getting caught up into some foolishness. All right, so let's move on to the third and final phase. And again, this is not exhaustive.
Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's what it says. That's First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Doctrines of demons. Now you say, Brother Reimer, you know, that's kind of severe. Why doctrine of demons? All right, let's take a look at that. Let's go back here to Genesis chapter 1. And let's talk to the chief demon. Well, not talk to him, but let's see what he did. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Da, 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 da. And then he makes man. Let me see here. Give me a minute. There we go. Let's go to chapter 3. The fall of man. Now we know this serpent is the devil. was more crafty than the other beasts of the field the Lord God had made. This is just straight up the devil. Chief demon. The first thing he said to Eve is, did God actually say? The first thing he does is he questions you if you're, did you hear God right? Or did God really say this? Did, 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 you know, is, is the Bible actually the word of God? Did God really? How did you get that Bible? Man, that thing being rewritten so many times by man, that thing's jacked up. You know, we don't know how much in there is of God and how much in there is, is, is you know, man-made. Have you heard that before? Because the first thing he does is to get you to doubt or to question whether you heard God right. Or how do you know your interpretation of Scripture is correct? Are you sure that's what it means? Are you sure we can't do this? The first thing the devil does, or his ultimate goal, is to attack your faith and confidence in God's character and in the word of God itself. Did God say? See, he's attacking the words of God. Did God really say? Are you sure? That? Did you hear it right? Did God really say that? Is that Bible really the word of God? I don't know. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Okay, people say that she added in touch it, but yeah, uh, eat it, touch it, Maybe she said, don't even look at it. But anyway, you can't not look at it. It's there, right? Okay, so then look what the devil replies to her. That's the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. All right, so she wasn't lying. God said, don't, don't eat it. Don't fool with it, because the day you eat thereof, you will die. Now, even though touch it isn't recorded in the other parts of, uh, other, uh, part of the text, um, that does not take away from, you know, people say she misquoted him. I don't think she misquoted him. I think that each chapter adds more detail than the last one. But that's, again, with hermeneutics. We'll go back to that another time. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So at first he creates doubt. Did God really say? Then he just tells her, I write a lie. You will not die. And with God, you know, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. 
What's the implications of him saying that? Number one, he's calling God a liar. God is lying to you. He's not telling you the truth. He's saying you're going to die, but you won't. Verse 5 of Genesis 3. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There is some secret hidden knowledge that God is hiding from you. This is where you get into esoteric teachings. Gnosticism. There's some secret knowledge. Some wisdom that God is hiding from you. God's holding out. He's not telling you the whole truth. There's more to it than just you, you, you not, you're going to die. God doesn't want, to eat, want you to eat the fruit because your eyes will be open and you, you'll know good and evil. You're going to receive some wisdom about life and humanity. That's what you're going to learn. And so that's where the lie comes in. Syncretism. He's taking... The true a truth because they didn't have they did get the knowledge of good and evil. He wasn't lying about that part of it, but he lied about the consequences of taking in such types of truth. She bit that the fruit, and it worked. Her eyes were open. Adam and he bit the fruit. His eyes open. Everybody's eyes open now. They see good and evil. Oh, we're naked. Oh, well, you know. Now we know we should hide from God. We're ashamed. Whatever things that they never felt before. So in that, he wasn't lying, but he didn't. But the consequences of death, separation from the life of God, blindness of the eyes, hardness of the heart, all those things the devil didn't tell him, that was, that's, that's the knowledge that was going to come along with it. I mean, I turned on my TV the other day, uh, Saturday morning, to find out Israel was under attack. This is a result of her biting that fruit. Now nations are at war. Ukraine, war, because the devil convinced her that God was holding out and there was some other secret knowledge other than the words of God, other than what God told her was not sufficient, was not sufficient. What God told her was not sufficient. And he has some extra knowledge. Today, people are reading books that are not part of the canon of Scripture. There are 66 books in the canon. That's it. Now, if you want to use Baruch and, 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 uh, and Melchizedek and, and, and others, you want to use certain books as supplements or whatever, trying to get some historical information or context, that's fine. But you cannot elevate them to the to the sixty six canon of scripture. You cannot do that. Did God really say? Are these sixty six books all there is? Maybe God says some other things elsewhere too. In First Peter, it says this. I believe it's the fourth uh, chapter one about verse four. God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That by these we can become partakers of the divine nature. Everything you need to know about God and to get into his kingdom, the full-on revelation is in the Holy Scriptures. 
Now, yes, we have the light of conscience, and yes, we have the light of creation. But it's limited. And we shouldn't be looking for extra biblical revelations when the Bible's right in front of us. I can see if it wasn't there. But it's right there in front of you. Pick it up and read it. Believe it. This is what I'm saying here. But the devil got her to doubt God's word and tried her to seek knowledge somewhere else other than from God and other from what God had told them. Now, you would think the logical thing would have been to do was go back and say, hey, you know, God, I was just talking to this serpent over here, and he told me X, Y, Z, and then perhaps God could have straightened her out, like, you know, that's the devil. No, you know, you shouldn't. No, she just went ahead and did it anyway. And then Adam, for whatever bizarre reason, went along with it. That's what I'm talking about, syncretism. That's a classic example of how the devil tricks us. And he's been doing the same bag of tricks. So he'll bring in masons. He'll bring in anagram. Anything he can bring into the church that's extra biblical to get us to adhere to other ideologies and to mix it with the Christian faith. When Balaam tried to curse Israel, he couldn't do it. So he said, you know, you want to destroy Israel? Get them to compromise. Get them to mix their women, their daughters to marry your sons and get your sons to marry their daughters. And blend your religions and your beliefs together. And that'll destroy Israel. And he turned out he was right. When you start mixing idolatry and pagan beliefs and non-Christian beliefs with the scriptures, in addition to we got the Bible, well, then we also got this over here too. When you take Yoruba practices, African spirituality, and you mix it with Christianity, particularly in the South, Catholicism, you end up with Santeria, a corruption of the Christian faith mixed with witchcraft and a whole lot of other nonsense. That's right, I said it. And this stuff is rampant in the southern region, Central and South America. Entire churches are held in the grip of this stuff. Now you know why Jesus said, broad is a road that leads to destruction, but straight and narrow is the one that leads to eternal life. He says, oh, you're being narrow-minded. You better believe I'm being narrow-minded. Because these are all ways that the enemy seeps in to the church. And I'm not quite done yet because we got some more stuff to look at here. Let me just take a quick look here. Let's go through the temptation of Christ now. Matthew chapter 4. It's also in Luke 4. When he was being tempted of the devil. And Jesus was hungry. Verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these, these, loaves of command these stones to become loaves of bread. And how did Jesus respond to him? Jesus responded to the devil's temptation with the word of God. It is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And now, hear what the devil does. The devil quotes the scripture. That's right. He quotes the scripture. He brings his own syncretistic thing, 
but he brings his syncretistic interpretation into that scripture. He will command his angels concerning, this is Psalms 91, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus does this. He also quotes the scripture. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Scripture interprets scripture. Jesus used the scripture to interpret the meaning of the other scripture and to put that scripture in context. That's why you have to have a good hermeneutic. You need to listen to the podcast. You can't handle the truth. The interview I did with Chad Mansbridge and also how to sharpen your sword. Where I give you a basic look at hermeneutics and how to study the Bible and get it right and not come up with nonsense. Popping, this is what the devil did. He popped the verse out of context. And so many people today, oh my goodness. Word of faith is a master. If you go to a Word of Faith church, those things that are taught there by these individuals, they are masters at twisting scripture. They'll pop a scripture out in a minute. And we're going to deal with some of that as well, probably in the next podcast, as we continue on in this series on doctrine of demons. That'll be part two, and we're going to deal with some of that, some of the things that are being said in the church and talked about in the church that people are running around claiming, blabbing and grabbing and claiming and naming, etc. And um, you'll see scripture twisting like you've never seen it before. But Christ used the scriptures to bring things back into balance. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, or get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the left, devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And it says in the other one that the devil left him for a season. So that wasn't the last time the devil tempted him. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, saints. Think, think about this for a minute. The devil offers him wealth and riches. All, all the devil said, all you got to do is fall down and worship me. The goal of the devil is to get us to not worship the true and living God. So his goal is to corrupt worship. Uh, to quote John MacArthur, he said, the, the greatest sins, the greatest crimes committed against God are committed in corrupt worship. The greatest crimes and the greatest sins against God are committed in corrupt worship. The devil seeks to infiltrate the church to corrupt our worship, which he's been pretty successful at that. Uh, you may say, man, it looks like the devil's winning. No, he's not winning because those of us who are the elect, the Bible says if, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. God has 10,000 churches in here that have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are some good churches out here. Unfortunately, the wrong ones are on television. Not all of them. But a lot of them, sad to say. And you're getting this unholy mixture of paganism and Christianity being married. In the last days, people will not be able to endure sound doctrine. We don't want no doctrine, but they'll have itching ears. They'll find teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Healing to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There are seducing spirits and doctrines of demons out here, people. 
And if you're not rooted in the word of God, you'll fall for it. I'm telling you. That's the way it works. So now we have syncretism. We're bringing paganism. A lot of new age teaching. A lot of stuff that's in the word of faith is metaphysics. Blabbing and grabbing. Naming and claiming. Declaring and decreeing. That is metaphysics. That is metaphysics. That is not Bible. We're going to do a little bit on the history of, of, the, of the word of faith. And we'll take a look, closer look at it. And you'll see why I cannot support and go along with that madness. Um, and so much of their doctrine is just skewed. I don't even know where to begin. In fact, I'm not even going to go into it now. I'm going to I want to take some because I want to take some time with it and do it do it well. Um, but God bless you, and uh, stick around because there's more to come. The best is yet to come. This is a podcast podcast where we seek the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we seek to inform God's people and to stir you up a little bit, get you a little angry, and to challenge you. Where you have to come back and say, huh, I don't know. Let me check this out. Take another look at it. So we'll do word of faith and we'll do pragmatism in the church because William James, that pragmatism is not cool. All right. So till next time, I've whet your appetite. Reach out to me. Let's talk. Well, as always, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to the Sword and Spirit. I hope I've said some things here that challenge you, motivate you, stir you up a little bit, make you want to look back into the scriptures and take a closer look at things see whether or not um, I'm on point or not. Like I said, you can reach out to me, rhyd12001 at gmail.com. Feel free to talk to me. Reach out to me. Agree, disagree. doesn't matter. I don't know everything, but I do believe that I'm on the right track. So if you want to talk, I'm much open to it. Not a problem. God bless you, and thank you for listening. Deeply appreciate. Make sure you get to the, the those other podcasts, those are Childers, and also to uh, <laughs> anyway. Go back in the podcast. You get his name, Alan Parr. There you go. Thank you, Jesus, Alan Parr. And uh, where they deal with some of the subjects a little bit more in depth than I have. I just wanted to with the appetite. This was not exhaustive. It was not everything that can be said. I just wanted to peek your ears up and say, "What? Wait a minute." I don't know. All right. God bless you. And I'll see you next time on the next edition of The Sword and the Spirit. Peace.